0: If your
1: confidence is small that your sin problem is solved, or that you're not really accepted with God, or that he's not on your side, and that maybe the Savior who died was not a sufficiently dignified Savior to carry the weight of what this death carries, then you're going to be in trouble without confidence. What gives us confidence in the face of our sin that Christ is our source of eternal salvation? That's the question John Piper answers from Hebrews 5, 4 to 10 in this episode of Light and Truth. This sermon was originally preached at Bethlehem Baptist Church on September 22nd, 1996. I wanna hang the insights about Jesus Christ today on three words, and the words are dignity, eternity, and purity. And I know that uh, they're big words for children, and almost no children are in this room right now, but I'm going to tell you what I said to the children in the first hour. Because what I have found is that most of the time when I address the children, that's the time the adults understand me best. And so uh, what I said to them was that uh, wise children say when they hear a big word, Pastor John sure uses some big words. And I don't understand them all the time, but I'm glad Pastor Don just doesn't use words that I understand because then he would have to leave out some important things in the Bible and I wouldn't grow as much in my understanding. That's what wise children say. However, since there are always words that people don't understand and we need to work at communication, I will explain the meaning of dignity, eternity and purity. But first... Let me put on the table the main point of this text. It's in verse 9. You can look at it. As I understand the flow of the argument in verses 4 to 10, verse 9 is the main point where it says, He, that is Christ, became to all those who obey him the source of an eternal salvation. Christ has become... The source of an eternal salvation, salvation from sin and guilt and condemnation and death and hell and Satan and life of meaningless labor. Christ is the source of everlasting or eternal salvation. It will never, ever cease. We are now in Christ and will be forever saved from all these destructive forces. Now, that's the main point in the chapter or in the section that we're looking at. Everything else in this section is designed to show how Christ became the source of eternal salvation. And I think everything else can be summed up under the dignity that Christ has as son, the eternity that he has in the order of Melchizedek, And the purity that he has coming through the crucible of suffering. So let's talk about these three words. Definition of dignity. Dignity means worthiness of honor. And the best way to get it across to kids and adults is to say that dogs have more dignity than ants do. And the proof of that is that stores sell ant poison and not dog poison. And if you put out ant poison in your house, nobody will raise an eyebrow. If you kill all the dogs in your neighborhood, you'll be in big trouble. Because dogs have more dignity than ants do. And children have more dignity than dogs do because there are Humane Society trucks that go around, when they're called, picking up stray, mangy, bothersome dogs, and if they can't find a home for them, they put them to sleep. But nobody is allowed to do that to kids. And you know what I thought as soon as I wrote that yesterday. Unless they're unborn or partially born. But... The point remains, children have more dignity than dogs and God has more dignity than humans, children or adults, because God created us. He sustains us and he is infinitely superior to us in every category. And therefore, God is infinitely dignified or worthy of honor. So that's what I mean by dignity. Worthiness of honor. Here's what I mean by eternity. You have eternity if you didn't have a beginning and won't have an ending. If you exist now and you're gonna stop existing, you don't have eternity. If you didn't exist and then came into being like everything but God, you don't have eternity. If you never had a beginning and never have an ending, you have eternity. And we'll see that one of the big issues in this text is this Melchizedek thing. What is that? And it has to do with eternity. And the last word is purity. And we all know what that is. Unsoiled, not dirty, or in Jesus' case, when he walked through the flame of affliction, he did not yield to the filth. Of self-pity or unbelief or bitterness or vengeance. He came through like gold. Because he is pure, pure gold. So those are my three words. Dignity of the Son. Eternity of the priesthood according to the order of Melchizedek. And purity through the crucible of suffering. So the main point of the text is verse 9. Christ has become for us the source of eternal, never-ending salvation from sin and guilt and shame and death and hell and Satan. And the way he has become the source of eternal salvation is by virtue of his dignity as the Son, his eternity as the priest like Melchizedek and his purity in suffering. Now, someone might ask, this is the question that came to my mind as I got to this point in my thinking, someone might say, well, wait a minute, you're talking about eternal salvation. We love it. It's the most important thing in our lives. But I always thought you'd have to say the death of Jesus is what obtained for us our eternal salvation. And that's the way he became the source of of eternal salvation. You haven't even mentioned the death of Jesus. You're just talking about dignity and eternity and purity. Why are you talking about that and not the death of Jesus? And here are three answers to that question. Number one, that's what the text is talking about. Even though I love theology and I have a theology, I have a system. It's called Christian Hedonism. And I like things to fit into my system. My main task as a pastor is to preach texts. And to be held accountable by the saints to say what texts say. First, if they fit, I'm happy. If they don't fit, the system better get adjusted. But the main task is you say what texts say. And if I end the sermon and this text hasn't had a fair hearing, then you have a right to send me a note and say, how come you preach in your theology and not texts? The word of God, not John Piper's theology. If those two don't correspond, the theology is the worst for it. So that's the first reason. The text doesn't even mention the death of Jesus. Which is all important, but you don't say everything in every text. It does talk about the dignity of the son and the eternity of the son and the purity of the son through suffering in order that he might become the source of eternal salvation. And we'll see how that relates. Here's the second reason why I'm doing it this way. You need to know, Christian, and anybody on the quest for God, you need to know why Jesus is a suitable savior to die. We all love the death of Christ. It is our death. It is our life. It is our forgiveness, our acceptance, our foundation. It's everything to us. But you've got to know why he was a suitable savior. And if you don't know why he's a suitable savior, then you're not going to be as confident in his salvation. And confidence is right at the heart of what this book, Hebrews, is about. Because if you have more confidence in the effectiveness of the priestly, dying work of Christ for your sins, if you have more confidence, you know what's going to happen? When you get over to chapter 10, 11, 12, and 13, and you start reading these radical calls to laying down your life kind of sacrificial obedience, you'll be able to do it. But if your confidence is small that your sin problem is solved or that you're not really accepted with God or that he's not on your side and that maybe the Savior who died was not a sufficiently dignified Savior to carry the weight of what this death carries, then you're going to be in trouble without confidence. And the third reason for talking about these three things, dignity, eternity and purity, is that. Without knowing Jesus, you can't have a personal relationship with Him. Sometimes I think we have a kind of a cloudy, airy, subjective notion of how to relate to Jesus as a person. We say, oh, I want to have a personal relationship Christ, who's alive, give it to me, Lord. Make it happen. When in fact, it's, there are some ways to do this. Namely, you can't have a relationship with somebody you don't know. And the Bible and texts like this are written so that you can know the dignity of the Son. The eternity of the Son. And especially this text focuses on the purity of the tortured son. And the way a relationship happens is that you listen and you watch and you see where he's coming from and where he's going and what qualities he has and how strong he is and how long he lasts and how he responded to suffering and what he said and how he prayed and what he did in the midst of crisis. And you get to know him so that you can talk to him and you listen to him. I get up Sunday mornings real early to get my heart ready to do this. And I say to the Lord as I open my Bible, you, living God, speak. Because if you don't speak, I can't speak. If you don't assure me that I belong to you, if you don't assure me this morning that my sins are forgiven, if you don't establish my call again to the ministry of the word this morning and address me as a living person and relate to me in this little corner of my study, I cannot and will not go into that pulpit. And so I am very, very serious about the way I read the Bible. And I read it and I am on the search for specific address from God. And this morning, there are several, but I'll just mention one. The Lord said to John Piper, the Lord said, the living Lord said, this is no, this is no subjective hocus pocus, the living Lord said to John Piper, my steadfast love will not Depart from you. And my covenant of peace. I will not remove from you. The Lord said that to me this morning. If you want to read it, it's in Isaiah 54, 10. But he said that to me. And that's why I'm here. I have a relationship with God. He talks to me. In the Bible. Very powerfully. Because in Jesus Christ. You can know. That what he addresses to his covenant people. He addresses to you. You don't have to shut your Bible and ask for some vibrations. All the vibrations you want will come out of the Bible. If the Holy Spirit is on you. And on that reading of the Bible. So the third reason I'm talking about these things is because when I study for a sermon, I get so jealous for you. I say, oh, everybody should do this. Everybody should preach. Everybody should teach. Everybody should share. Because when you struggle and you wrestle Friday and Saturday with about seven verses, you meet him. You meet him. And he speaks and you know him and you're you relate to him. I called Noel into the study yesterday about three in the afternoon. I was really struggling because I don't know if you I diagrammed these verses. You ever, how many did sentence diagramming in high school? Raise your hand. Not as many as should have. <laughs> Poor school systems. Well, all we did in the seventh grade was diagram sentences. Well, I diagrammed them in Greek. Because verses 5 through 10 are one sentence in Greek. And it is incredibly complex. It is just backward and forward and the word order is all over the place. And I'm trying to figure out now, what the main thing here and how do these pieces fit together. And it filled a whole sheet and it just looked like a maze. And I called Noelle and I said, you want to see tomorrow's text? And I held up this Greek diagramming. She said, oh, neat. I said, every word needs a sermon. Now I'm going to take 50 of these words and put them in one sermon. Which meant that I was on my face saying, God, I don't know which ones to choose. I could preach a sermon on every word in this text. This text could go for one year. What am I going to do? And you wait and you trust that having prayed and having worked as hard as you know how to work to determine the structure of the thought, you make choices and you believe that God is in it. Let's take these words one at a time and quickly fill them up with Christ. First, the word dignity. Let's look at verse 4. No one takes the honor of the priesthood. No one takes the honor to himself but receives it when he is called by God, even as Aaron was. So the first point here is the office of the priesthood is so dignified. It has so much dignity. Nobody dare say, oh, I'll do it here. I'll be the priest. You can't volunteer to be the priest. God alone reaches down and pulls and chooses and calls into the priesthood whom he will. Now, verse five relates that to Jesus. So also Christ did not glorify himself so as to become a high priest. But now the next part of this verse is confusing because it doesn't relate to the priesthood. I expected him to say, so Christ did not glorify himself to become a high priest, but God made him a high priest or but God said, this is my high priest, but the, the terminology of high priest is dropped in the second half of the verse, and instead you get sonship. So it says, but he who said to him, thou art my son, today I have begotten thee, he glorified him in this way. Now what's going on here? I think the point is this. He's lifting up the high priesthood, that intercessory role, that Christ is going to have for the people of God. And he's saying it is a dignified role. It is a high role and nobody can put themselves into it. Only God can put people into it. And so God and then instead of saying simply put him into it, he says, God has begotten a son. Now, the, the reason for saying that is that he goes one step beneath the priestly role of dignity To the higher role of dignity, namely the sonship of Jesus Christ, which if he has, if he has this dignity, how much more is he suited to assume the role of the priestly dignity? And I think this word begotten means two things biblically. And I think in the book of Hebrews, judging from chapter one, he has from all eternity begotten the son. There never was a time when the Son and the Father did not exist. But the Father has always been the one generating the Son, imaging him forth, beholding himself perfectly reflected back in the image of his Son. And that's called the eternal begetting of the Son. But when he was raised from the dead, he was declared, as Romans 1 says in Acts 13.33, he was proclaimed Son of God in power. So he's always been the son, but as he moved through the testing, he became son of God in power fit in a new way to assume his role as high priest son after he died and rose again. So I think the point here in verses four and five is that the dignity of the priestly office is satisfied because Jesus is the son of God. All hell is going to break loose on you one of these days. Near your death, if not sooner, Satan, your own unmortified flesh that remains, and the world around you in some ways are going to conspire and they are going to assault you with this word. Your salvation is bogus. It's not eternal. You think the death of Jesus, a man, is sufficient to cover all the crap you have done with your life? Your sin is still on you? and therefore your guilt is still on you, and therefore your condemnation is still on you, and therefore the wrath of God rests on you, and soon you will enter the judgment, and he will frown and say, Out of here, you sinner, and you'll join me in hell. And that's the assault that will come, and it will come with a vengeance. And I only know one solution to that warfare, and that is the sword of the Spirit. The word and truth of God. And this truth is one dagger in that sheath. Namely, oh no, Satan. Oh no. It was the son who died. It was the son of God who died. My high priest is not of the tribe of Aaron. My high priest is not of the tribe of Levi. Levi. My high priest is the Son of God. And it is sufficient. His dignity is infinite. It's infinite. And you back off and get out of here because I know that my Redeemer lives and I shall stand before Him and be accepted on the basis of this death which is invested with saving eternality because the Son has dignity. This is Light and Truth, God-centered preaching to help you see Christ clearly and treasure Him truly. I'm your host, Dan Kruver. Thank you for listening. On our next episode, John Piper continues our series, Consider Jesus, with a sermon titled The Eternality of Christ. I hope you'll join us. For more resources, visit DesiringGod.org.